This is BTS with CTV Behind the Scenes, Behind the Stories we bring you from the CTV Vancouver Newsroom. My name is Penny Daflos, and I'll be your guide behind the curtain to the press gallery in Victoria. He's been in and out of jail since 2012. Binder Sudgeon is our legislative bureau chief in the capital and works long hours to cover policy decisions by the provincial government. Does BC need a public sex offender registry? Uh, what we need to ensure is, is that uh, individuals like him are uh, under the strictest of supervision. And Binder doesn't let up when she's looking for answers. Is there any way to stop this revolving door with these high-risk sex offenders? Because um, we see it happen quite a lot. No, I know, and it is concerning, and we want to make sure... Sometimes that... getting those answers can be a lot more difficult. Okay, we're, we're going to do a scrum after the question here. So. Oh! Yeah. No, no, we'll do it, do it after which is there every time, microphone in hand and armed with facts and questions. Binder joins me now for her first appearance on BTS with CTV from the CFAX radio studios in Victoria. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So your job is very different from my job because I usually uh, walk up to my assignment editor first thing in the morning. We've had a a phone call or emails earlier in the day and then I get to uh, walk up to him and have a discussion and I'm surrounded by people all the time by my own CTV coworkers. but you have a very different experience in Victoria so paint us a picture of what it looks like a typical day for a legislative reporter for CTV News in Victoria. Yeah, well, it's different depending on whether the House is in session or not. But uh, typically, Chris Brinton and I, he's the camera person, are in our office. And we've had a conversation also with the assignment desk before we've come in. We kind of know what the priorities are, but what happens when the House is in session and when, you know, people are making policies, um, there are a lot of unexpected things. So, There are a couple of things that are scheduled, and that is question period. So question period happens on Monday and Wednesday afternoons and Tuesday and Thursday mornings. So what happens before question period is we all scurry up into the hallways and try to access cabinet ministers and throw questions uh, at them in terms of the stories of the day or maybe something that somebody else is working on. And so that's often I will might be working on a story about hospital wait times or, or something to do with uh, an escaped prisoner. So, so you're going to chase after the health minister or the solicitor general or whoever on behalf of a reporter who's working on a story here in Vancouver. That's right. So we often get multiple requests. You either get multiple requests or you get no requests. I don't know why it happens that way, but that's how it happens. So you're trying to figure out all these different stories, all the different uh, questions that reporters have and, you know, trying to make sure that you get the answers that people want. And it's a process just to get into the hallway. So for us, Chris and I are, we lovingly call it the dungeon. So we are, in order to get to the hallways, we leave our office, we go through the CBC office, we go through the press theater, and then we get to a hallway, the first hallway. So we go through basically three long hallways, two sets of stairs, and three heavy doors before we get into the area where we can scrum the cabinet ministers. So we get there, and typically, everyone arrives for caucus at about the same time. So you're maybe interviewing one cabinet minister. You're keeping your eye out for another cabinet minister while trying to keep all these stories in your mind and pretending like going up all those flights of stairs, sometimes with gear, didn't cause you to be out of breath. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and so I imagine at the same time, you're also keeping an ear out on the competition to hear what they're talking about, to see if you've missed anything, if there's something that you can kind of glean from what they're asking about. 
Exactly. So we're in multiple scum, scrums, um, typically. And in addition to keeping an eye out for who is where, you're trying to figure out, you know, what the competition's doing. But also, if there's a way to an adva- to an advance a story that you hadn't thought about. So maybe there's a scrum happening that you didn't have on your story list for the day. And you're thinking, well, that's an interesting angle. And then maybe it sparks something in your mind. And then you're trying to push the story even further. So there are a lot of different things happening at basically the same time. But in the hallways, we're also limited as to where we can do scrums. They typically don't want us to be at the top of stairs interviewing cabinet ministers for obvious reasons, although we still try to do it sometimes. <laughs> um, and there are different areas in the hallways where you can and can't do the scrums, where you can and can't have your phone. You definitely can't have your morning coffee with you if it's happening Tuesday mornings or Thursday mornings. Um, and so you're, you're abiding by all the rules and trying to get what you need to get done. But you think about it, right? Like you have access to cabinet ministers several times a week. It's pretty, um, you know, amazing that we have that type of access. And um, sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. Well, and I was just going to say that I think that you are probably the most, um, how do I put this? I, I guess almost buried in paperwork because you have to keep track of every report that comes out. You have to keep track of every uh, memo and every press release. I mean, your knowledge of what's happening in Victoria it, across every ministry, across every uh, thing that our provincial government touches, you have like an encyclopedic knowledge of everything that's going on. And that's got to be exhausting and, and mentally taxing to try to keep track of everything so that you can ask a follow-up question or know what is a new development versus a reannouncement because that happens with every government. It's not just this one. Uh, it must be really hard to kind of keep track of everything and know what's new versus what's being spun as being new. Exactly. And this is where a photographic memory would really come in handy. <laughs> if only. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't have one. Um, and so you come up with filing systems, right? So I keep every single press release that the government puts out. And as you know, Penny, they put out a lot of them. Especially and on so, a Friday afternoon, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah. And so sometimes you do have to say, okay, hold on a second. Where are we at with this file? What did we know about this already? And you're right. A lot of the times, it doesn't matter who's in government. We are seeing that something is announced, it's re-announced, and then it's, I don't know, even know, triple announced, you know? And so you're trying to keep track of what's new and what's not. But the good thing with being over here is that you have access to a number of people who could provide you those answers. But also, as you learn very quickly in this job, it all comes down to the budget. If you want to know what's new money and what's old money, you go back to the budget document because what the government spends typically is there. Uh, sometimes they may find that they have a surplus as they're going through the year, so they could add additional money. So we always ask the questions. But uh, keeping track of it all is definitely part of the joy and the fun of the job because you're in the know in terms of every policy decision and you you are on top of what the government is doing but you're right it does uh it does kind of take a little bit out of you sometimes well, and another challenge that you have that I think all reporters have, but you have in particular, is how do you take a policy announcement or something that the government says that they're going to be doing about X, Y, Z, and how do you make that relatable to people? Because a 2% increase in spending over year over year on, on 
you know, pick your topic, it might be hard for people to understand, especially in our medium. A lot of times people are consuming our news as they're making dinner. uh, So they're distracted in their home watching the six o'clock news. Sometimes, you know, they might be on Twitter or Facebook scrolling through. There's a lot of other um, stuff to read and stuff to distract them. There's cat videos. There's all sorts of stuff. So to try to make something relatable and understandable to people can be a challenge. But I think that you do that really well, um, considering that a lot of times it will be budget speak or it'll be political speak. And then you're trying to relate that for a normal human being. Yeah, and I think CTV prioritizes that as well to make sure that we're not just regurgitating news releases, but that we're actually thinking about uh, what we're presenting. And so I guess for us, we spend a lot of time going, okay, so what does this mean to the average person? You know, Chris and I have a discussion and we're like, what does that even mean? Do we know what that means? And we're trying to find out, you know, answers to different questions to really break it down to what it means to people. And a lot of people think that reporting on politics is about politicians, but it really, really isn't. It's about reporting on the things that impact people's daily lives in many cases. Um, And so we're trying to pull out the threads and the information that people need to know to uh, lead their lives and to know how the government is actually impacting them. But it does take a bit of work. And sometimes you'll get press releases, you know this, Penny, where the headline is one thing, and then you actually pick it apart and you're like, wait a minute, but this is an interesting point too. And so I remember that happened with MSP under the former government. So they put out a press release saying kids are now free and, you know, they won't be charged for MSP anymore. And this is great news. What we found when we dug into that story is that a million people were still going to pay more. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. That's a story that impacts people's lives. So, you know, we always try to take the view of how does this impact people? How does it impact maybe the people that aren't being talked about in this press release? And to go from there. And then in terms of storytelling, um, we all have the same same deadline. It's six o'clock. I mean, we're tweeting and giving updates and whatnot throughout the day, but you're obviously working towards a six o'clock deadline. So then you have to go oftentimes to try to find somebody who is impacted by these policy decisions just to try to help tell the story of a family that may be paying more, uh, that may have ac- difficulty accessing childcare, for example. So the it sounds like there's a lot of hours in the day to turn a story if you're getting a clip at 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning, but really um, you're really crunched for time because because you have to start writing and then be ready to often do a live report on this topic for, for 5, 5.30 or, or 6 o'clock as well. That's right. And what we find typically, like when it comes to the budget, a lot of people do need some time to process what they've heard before they can actually, or before they want to provide some sort of an opinion on what they think it means to them. And so we're lucky in that way that some days we present the information in terms of here's what's happened, here's how people are saying it's going to impact them, and then we follow up with a story about, you know, here's so-and-so who's saying, hey, look at us. I think that happened a lot with the speculation tax story, Mm -hmm. uh, with the employer health tax story this year. You know, initially through the budget, we were just pulling out the threads of, okay, this is what the policy change is. And then in the days and weeks later, pulling out the stories of, okay, well, these people are raising concerns that they may be impacted and it may impact services in this way. So um, same with the childcare story. You know, we heard about the childcare fee initiative, uh, fee reduction initiative this year came into effect in April and it was hailed as this, you know, great moment for childcare in British Columbia. And for parents who were saving up to $350 per space, it was a great deal. 
But there were also private daycare operators saying, hold on, we're being asked to sign contracts and we're not sure exactly what's in them. And a lot of them were, you know, parents as well who had gone into uh, this industry because they couldn't find their own childcare, or they were people who were operating uh, smaller facilities um, and say that their margins weren't that great, or even larger facilities that were wondering how this would all impact them. So sometimes the stories aren't immediately, um, you know, you don't immediately know what the story is, and they develop in the days and weeks after. And I think that's something that we all do. But especially when it comes to government policy, you're always looking to say, okay, what's maybe the unintended impact here? And then to find a way to explain that to the public, that we've learned something new to try to keep it current, to have them understand that this isn't weak old news. This is, okay, now we're getting a better understanding of something because that's that can sometimes be a challenge as well. Yeah, and I think people um, get that. And I think people don't mind when they're interested in a topic, hearing about it perhaps over and over again. So um, to find, you know, when you're finding different angles on it. So I think that really helps as well. I think sometimes as well, people don't realize how much personality plays into the coverage that you're able to do out of the legislature because there are politicians of different experience levels that you're talking to on a daily basis. Some of them have been in the public eye and dealing with journalists and being able to answer questions from constituents and just being able to articulate their positions for a really long time. And I find them really easy to talk to and there's not a lot of political speak or technical talk, but then others are kind of stuck, stuck in this message box of talking points. Um, I think sometimes that's based on just experience. Others, they're just not as comfortable uh, speaking um, to a reporter on camera, uh, on the record. And so you get stuck in these like three talking points where you don't really get an answer to the questions that you're asking. How do you kind of balance that and manage the different personalities, different personalities that you deal with, deal with from minister to minister while still trying to get your job done? Well, you learn very quickly which minister falls into which category. And so when the government changed, uh, we were learning all of that. And um, so there are ministers, as you say, that you can go up and you can chat with any time and say, I, I, need, I need a minute. Can we, can we have a conversation? And it's no problem. Um, but there are ministers that will, I, this happened to me last week, saying, hi, can I ask you about, nope, you can do it after question period. And that this person just blew right past me. Um, and we have noticed that there are some ministers that on the way into caucus, you say, minister, we want to ask you about, and they say, no, 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 I'm sorry, I'm running late. What did you want to talk about? We can talk about it on the way out. And so, you know, we're kind of unsure how to deal with that. We're not necessarily trying to uh, catch somebody off guard. We don't want somebody to be unprepared when they're answering the questions because we do want the information for the public. Um, but at the same time, you're wondering, is this just giving them an opportunity to then come back with talking points? Because that's definitely not what we want. So, you know, we're learning about the new ministers here. We've kind of put them in different categories and uh, trying to do our best to get those answers. But, you know, you have to work around it. And sometimes you just have to say, I'm sorry, this is the question and we need an answer. But it's quite awkward in the hallways, though, because there isn't a lot of space. There are typically three cameras. Sometimes there are up to five and they've got these bright lights shining on them. So you can see why you know, when you're a new minister, that maybe that's a bit intimidating. Um, but also it is part of the job. And we're not here as the media asking questions 
necessarily that we want answers to. We're asking questions that we think the public wants answers to. Well, and some people would criticize us as, well, why are you asking gotcha questions and why can't you let them formulate their response? But at the end of the day, this is somebody who specializes in a certain topic in a certain area. And like you say, they shouldn't be able to, you know, craft a response, you know, if if they're doing damage control on something. And oftentimes deadlines play into that. For you to be able to get a, a reaction or a response, um, you know, before noon gives you a chance then to um, talk to critics, to talk to, as you say, families that may have been affected, different advocacy groups. Whereas if you get the response at two or three o'clock in the afternoon for then to, you know, get the other side of it or get some sort of response, it really puts a crunch on your day. You may not have to be able to access it till the next day, which, again, doesn't serve our viewers and our readers if it's something that is, you know, affecting them right away. And there may, in some cases, still be a chance to change that policy if there if sometimes the government floats an idea out there and people need a chance to respond to that. Yeah, and it really matters whether this is happening on a Monday and Wednesday or Tuesday and Thursday, because Monday and Wednesdays, we have question period in the afternoon. So typically we go up into the hallways around 1245 and we wait for the cabinet ministers um, as they go into caucus. And so if they're not speaking to us before question period, then we have to wait until after, which can be between typically 215 and 245. So uh, that did happen to me on the first day of session, I believe it was, uh, that, right, we had the NAFTA deal. Um, So, you know, we asked uh, the minister responsible, could we talk to you about the NAFTA deal? It had come out hours before, and he said after question period. Well, we had a number of things piling up after question period. So now it's 2.45, and uh, we've got um, him to speak to. We've got two other cabinet ministers that were speaking on uh, opioids and uh, the drug case that they had launched and they had some enabling legislation that they were talking about and there was somebody else that we were trying to get for a colleague. So now you're hitting sort of past three o'clock and typically for us, uh, we start editing around uh, four o'clock. Chris and I are a team, right? So he shoots during the day and then he edits our stories, and then he sets up for live hits. So um, our timelines are a little bit more compressed. But yeah, that makes things a little bit difficult. And I don't think necessarily that the ministers care about our timelines. <laughs> um, and, you know, because they're worried about their their programs and their policies that they're worried about. But you're right, it does make it a bit different, uh, difficult. And we are trying to balance multiple different priorities at different times. And just a quick note on Chris, I, I would call him the best dressed cameraman in the CTV uh, ENG department because there is protocol that he has to follow uh, to be uh, in the legislature. I mean, a lot of times our uh, cameramen wear jeans and cargo pants, stuff that's really practical because they're lugging gear, they're in and out of the rain, there's a lot of stuff going on. But in his case, uh, he has to wear dress pants, doesn't he? Tell us a little bit about the protocol that you're dealing with there, Bender. Yeah, so um, long ago, there was a dress code established for the legislature for when the House is in session. So for men, that means that they can't wear jeans. They have to wear, you know, dress pants and a collared shirt. Uh, Those in the press gallery um, must wear a blazer and a tie. So Chris doesn't have to do that as a camera person because they realize that he has, he and the other camera uh, people have a lot of gear to carry around and sometimes it's not practical. Um, and, you know, there was a question as to whether there was a dress code for women. And so this question came up for us last summer and then we discovered that the dress code had actually been established so long ago that they weren't really 
too worried about how many women there were in the legislature. Oh, my God. (laughs) We actually don't officially have a dress code was what uh, we came up with. And so uh, that was actually a cause for celebration for some women who it was a hot summer and they wanted to wear sleeveless dresses in the hallway. And Slow down, they, Bender, with the right? sleeveless dresses. Oh, no, oh, my God. I know, I know. In the summertime, <laughs> I know. What were they thinking? But, yeah, so that was, I mean, these are the things that, you know, there are different protocols and different rules. And uh, you know what? That was a win for women, I think. So I was happy about that. No, that's, uh, I had no idea that that was happening, but yeah, I've seen, um, a, a couple years ago, I went by the, the ledge and saw, um, photos of the press gallery and women were only included in, uh, in the last few decades. So it's kind of interesting to see the evolution over time. And now there's obviously a lot more of you there. Uh, but there is still a, I don't know that it's an old boys club because while there are a lot of men there, there are a lot, also a lot of women, but there do seem to be cliques and there do seem to be um, certain reporters that uh, get better access than others. And you had your suspicions about this for a long time, but then it sounds like you actually got some documentation to support this feeling of yours that you were not um, perhaps uh, getting uh, callbacks when you should, shall we say? Yeah. And so I, I, you're right. I'm not sure exactly what's behind it because we do have people who have been in the press gallery for decades. And so they have contacts and they have sources that um, will, you know, provide them with information to get the scoops that they need, right? Or that they get from time to time. Um, but there's another sort of situation where when the House isn't in session, how do you access cabinet ministers when you're looking for information? So there was um, a time recently where I put in a request to a minister and uh, this person, the minister showed up on a different TV station and I was wondering why we got a statement back. And Penny, you know how useful a statement is for picture-driven television, right? But even not and just for picture-driven television, if, if, a, if somebody is, and this drives me absolutely bananas, when we put in a request for information on something and we get a statement back, it is a one-way conversation. They're yeah. saying, here's what we're willing to tell you and you better accept this. And by the way, we don't care that you asked at 10.30 or 11 o'clock this morning when you did your research and were able to, to formulate a request. Here's a written response at 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the the afternoon that you have to shoehorn into your coverage and you don't get to ask any questions in response. That is unacceptable. Yeah. And what drives me nuts is sometimes the only question I've asked is, is the minister available on camera today to talk about X? Hmm. And you get a statement back at 3.30 or 4 o'clock, right? How do you know what my questions were? You don't. You haven't asked me what they were. You haven't provided me the opportunity to even get background information because that's what I'm looking for is information. All you've done is put out your your spin and your talking points. And so in this situation, I had asked for an on-camera and I got a response that was a statement. And uh, when I looked into it a bit further with a freedom of information uh, request, uh, I found that other people in the gallery everyone else who had requested an interview got one. And I was the person who was sent a statement. So, you know, it raises a lot of questions in terms of maybe are the media being treated fairly? I guess you could make a case that the government or ministers have the right to, if they have limited time, to speak to whomever they choose to or whomever they can fit in. 
you can make that argument. But also at the same time, if you have a minister that's available for three, four different interviews, why not just do one scrum and allow everyone to ask their questions? Well, and it also raises the question of did a story uh, done by a completely different reporter on a completely different topic, but that is maybe critical, uh, is uh, really comes down hard on a government policy. Are you then being penalized uh, on a different story for something that we did that's critical of the government, whether it's ride sharing or there are so many topics that are being uh, formulated right now that are really can be quite hot button issues. And are you being penalized on on one story for uh, if, if we took a hard hitting position on a different one? It's very easy for them because they have so much um, they have huge communications departments. They have a lot of time to be able to formulate strategy. And it just really raises the question, are you being penalized for something that somebody else did um, on, on a given story? Yeah, and I think the good communications people will understand that you take the long-term view of this, that you're not looking at story by story what each outlet is doing and then formulating some sort of a response to that. I think most people get that, you know, you've got you've got different outlets for different reasons. Everybody has some type of viewership or audience uh, that they are dealing with. And if you want to reach those people, then you should be accessible to those people. I think it's just a trend that we've been seeing um, a little bit in this government is to start doing now one-on-one interviews with ministers when they're not in a scrum situation, like when we're not in session. And what that means then is that the time is limited. And I'm sure there's a reason for that. Communications, maybe they want to control the message. They feel like they can do that a little bit better. Uh, But I think for the rest of us, when it reduces our access, it raises a lot of questions about why not? Why not speak? If you've got a message to get out, why not speak to all the outlets? And I think that's still an unanswered question for me in this particular case. There are also, in fairness, you know, on balance, there are a number of people uh, within government communications who are really trying to get you the information that you need and who are very willing to, you know, try to work with you to get the minister on camera. I'm not sure exactly where the direction comes from, whether it's the comms teams or the ministers or some sort of strategy that's been devised in terms of who... Um, does what. But there are people who are trying because they understand what we're doing is, again, on behalf of the public. Well, and I have to say, you're absolutely correct. Sometimes it is really difficult to um, access information, let alone the minister. Sometimes it can take you a day or two just to get some information. But then there are other ministers. I can't tell you how many times Mike Farnworth has met me outside of his house to give me a clip in Port Coquitlam. Uh, and at the same time in the previous administration, uh, Terry Lake uh, used to, uh, because he, I, I believe his uh, riding was Kelowna, um, he used to Skype me from his daughter's bedroom because that's where she had a computer set up. But it was, he felt that it was important uh, to address a bunch of issues. So again, it depends on the minister, it depends on their staff. And people have bent over backwards to give us information on a weekend via Skype. Uh, I, I Actually, going back to Farnworth, uh, a couple months ago, I had questions about uh, enforcement for uh, marijuana um, when it's legalized, who's going to go in and enforce um, the bylaws and and provincial regulations? Is it going to be police or or who's going to do it? He was uh, in transit somewhere um, up north and literally pulled over the side of the road to give me 
something over the phone just so that I could have some information. And then we had a chat about the elk that he saw crossing the road <laughs> as he stopped on the side of the road to get me info. So again, it's I, I don't want to paint everybody with the same brush, but uh, there's a huge range in availability uh, when it comes to information and being able to address those ministers directly. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right, Penny, and you've alluded to this before, but what we do need to be concerned about is the number of people who are in government communications, who are in different ministries, who are working on crafting the message. And then if we are also in some ways having reduced access to ministers where we can actually, you know, get that information, sometimes that is the only way you can get the information that you're looking for, because Otherwise, it would take a lot of time for people to craft their messages and their answers and get back to you. Uh, Again, some ministries are better than others, but when there are a diminishing number of reporters in the press gallery and it appears that communications is ever growing, I think we need to be concerned about access. Well, and we always appreciate your hard work uh, on this side of the water. Everybody appreciates your work in Victoria as well. And I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast, Binder. Thank you so much, Penny. I'd also like to thank Chris Brinton for his help with archival audio this week. And thank you for joining us on BTS with CTV. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover on a future podcast? Email me, bts at ctv.ca. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe for more insights, tidbits, and the stories behind the stories. I'm Penny Daphlos.